This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 39 of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, Cashel Products, and Bates Saddles. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse, brought to you in cooperation with the Retired Racehorse Project and New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program. On today's show, we get a glimpse into the training barn with Tim Austin and how he likes to prepare young thoroughbreds for their first race. Fellow HRN host from Stall and Stable, Helena Harris, joins us to share her experience of adapting and caring for her first OTTB. And Leandra from New Vocations brings us another hot training tip and our adoptable horse of the week. Stay tuned. And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. This is Jamie Jennings in Norman, Oklahoma. And this is Joy Hills from Kalamazoo, Michigan. And you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. Jamie, how have you been? It's, it feels like it's been forever, even though we just had a fabulous episode. I know it was so good. We had, if you guys haven't heard last, uh, last episode, please go back and check mm-hmm. it out. It was fantastic. And, um, I just replayed it on horses in the morning, but I have some great news for all of our favorite, uh, retired racehorse, uh, organizations, the ASPCA. ASPCA grants more, this is from their press release, grants more than $250,000 to help rehabilitate and retrain retired racehorses. Oh my gosh. Guess who some of the organizations were that received this money? I'll just tell them all to you. Okay. (laughs) Some of these are going to sound familiar. Cantor USA. Friends of Ferdinand, Hope for Horses in North Carolina, Kentucky Equine Adoption Center in Kentucky, Mid-Atlantic Horse Rescue, New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program in Kentucky, Louisiana, and Ohio, Red Wings Horse Sanctuary in California, Red Wings, that's hard for me to say, Rerun Thoroughbred Adoption in New York, This Old Horse in Minnesota, Beyond the Roses Equine Rescue and Retirement in Michigan, and Racers Placers in Wisconsin, and also finally the organization that I work with on a daily basis, Horse and Hound Rescue Foundation in Guthrie, Oklahoma. Woohoo! Woo! That's so exciting. It oh. is so great that all of these organizations got grants from five to $50,000 to support their work all for retired racehorses. You guys, the ASPCA has really come through now to at least two years in a row. They've given over $2.25 million to support former racehorses over the past 10 years. So this, and this COVID life that we're living right now, the fact that grants are still being issued by them is just awesome. Yeah, definitely remarkable. A lot of people are struggling and different organizations are struggling to get funds like that. And I mean, we've seen that it's been like record horse adoptions uh, during this time, which is amazing. And you know, we have to thank all our listeners who love the love the thoroughbreds, love the standard breds, everyone who's out there doing the work. So give yourselves a pat on the back too. People are noticing how important this is. Yeah, it's really it's really taking. We're gonna mm-hmm. take over the world, Joy. That's the goal. That's Any always minute. been the goal. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, it's just so yeah. fantastic. 
Well, Jamie, before we take over the world and convert everyone to loving retired racehorses, <laughs> we should probably get to our premier sponsor, Kentucky Performance Products, to hear what they have to offer to you. She swallowed hard as they walked into the start box. She could feel his muscles tense under her leg. Five, four, three, two, one. Have a great ride. She didn't have to ask. He galloped out of the box and across the field toward their first training level course. His ears pricked. Her heart pounded. He attacked each obstacle with confidence, clearing them with room to spare. A huge smile broke out on her face as she crossed through the finish flags. She leaned forward and buried her face in his neck. Their bond of love and trust blocked out all else. This love story is brought to you by Elevate. Research proven to have superior bioavailability. Elevate supplies the essential vitamin E often missing from the equine diet. Its all-natural formula supports healthy muscle and nerve functions. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. I'm pleased to welcome to the show, Tim Austin. Tim is one of the head trainers for High Point Farm and Training Center in LaGrange, Kentucky. Uh, Tim, thanks for coming on. Tell us a little bit about High Point. Uh, thank you so much for having me first. And um, I found High Point a, a few years ago, uh, just kind of as uh, somewhere that I took my horses that weren't being stabled at Churchill Downs. And um, it was just kind of a, a few extra stalls at first. And what I liked about the facilities, we've got a, we have a, a six furlong oval, uh, dirt oval, which we train on regularly. But we also have a five furlong uh, poly track uphill gallop, and there's a three eighths indoor uh, poly track gallop that we have. And uh, inside the inside the gallop there, there's a indoor arena as well. And what I was really, what I really liked about High Point was the versatility there just wasn't hardly anything any training matter that i couldn't fix there basically or, or there's no way to help a horse there's trails all the way all around there's big fields to gallop in there's uh like i said between the the three or four different uh training facilities there it really makes it a great place to start horses which is my main business but also i get horses off the racetrack that have got problems this or that and um it's really a great place to be able to help address those issues without going to the track every day basically but still keeping them fit i love how you said you start them because i feel like the word breaking is just so archaic because i don't think that we need to to use that that term anymore and i'll tell you something i i take a lot of horses off of the racetrack and retrain them and you can it's so obvious the ones that have had a good start in life it, what you do is going to stick with that horse for the rest of their life so tell us a little bit about what you do and what age and all, all the things that you guys do starting the horses well i i think it's i guess my opinion of starting a, a horse is different than some of the other people's i did not come from the racetrack like a lot of my good friends well you know were born on you know born to mothers and fathers that did race horses basically mm -hmm. and uh i didn't i didn't come from that background i was just a little kid that loved 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 horses and um my first heroes really were guys like uh 
Buck Brandeman and Monty Roberts to, to quote the starting. I think that's really where that kind of came from. Um, and, you know, I mean, heck, John Lyons, Pat Farrell, those guys that really put horsemanship on the map, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, those were the guys that I started really idolizing when I was growing up, when we just had trail horses, basically. And then from there, um, you know, I fell in love with racehorses because if you're involved with a racehorse at all, if you're involved with a horse that finishes in front of the field, I'm telling you, there's no greater high than that. Mm -hmm. So I guess what I was trying to get at there, I started really just wanting to be a cowboy or or thought that I was going to go into performance horses. And then the the racehorses kind of uh, swept me away. I, I was... I was so taken by the fact that there was so much, like there was a community that brought the horse along. You know, you've got your exercise riders, your farrier, your, you know, all of these people that come together to get, you know, the jockey, the, you know, the starting gate, the gate crew, all these people that come together uh, to make a race go the way that you want it to. That was the part of it that I was fascinated with. Um, But to, to, you know, back up and answer your question there, because of that, I, I start a racehorse just like I would any other horse that was coming from the barn. I start a racehorse. I've started many a dressage horses, started many, you know, jumping horses, many, um, and, and many performance horses, you know, the reining, the cutting, those sort of things. Um, so I think when you, when you have come from that space, I don't, I don't start them any different as a racehorse. They just take a different direction as they mature, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think that, you know, and I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Like you said, once these horses are done with their racing career, which is usually only a couple of years, they have a whole lifetime of something that they're going to do after that. And that's also something that I keep in mind when we're uh, trying to build a good foundation on these horses. You know, I get them where they're getting off of my leg, where they've got a, a mouth, where they have, you know, all of those things that I think are important just as riding horses that also help them in their race career because it takes away a lot of the confusion. Absolutely. So you get the horses comfortable with with the the bridle, the saddle, the rider, you know, you probably do a little long lining, all of those things. When do they make their way to the track or I, I mean, to have an uphill track. Wow. What an amazing facility. It sounds like y'all have, but when do they start to make their way out of the round pin with a rider? Um, you know, that, that actually depends on the individual for me. I've had horses that were here for 60 days that never saw the racetrack in that time. And I've also had horses that I had for two weeks and they were on the track in, you know, two or three weeks. That really depends on where they're going and what the long-term goal is and what, you know, all of those things. So for instance, you know, I've had horses that I started on a farm where we didn't have access to the racetrack and I just got that horse really broke and really confident. And when that horse has confidence in you, I don't care if you take him, I don't care if you take him to an arena or the racetrack or wherever he's going to go. When they have confidence in you, you can lead a horse just about anywhere and they'll follow. So the, the big thing, like I said, in the start is that building of confidence. Um, but, but it depends, like I said, and so back to your uh, original question, there's some clients that just send the horse to me for 30 days, let's say, well, if that's the case, then I need to make sure that that horse is 
at least seen the racetrack before they get out of here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so, but but really, generally, within the first thirty to sixty days, I would say those horses are are seeing the racetrack and that uphill. You know, it's a great, like I said, high point offers a great thing because you can kind of take them from the round pin to the indoor arena, to the indoor track, to the uphill, to the track proper. And each of those steps is a little farther, a little more that they're getting to see, um, a little bit more exposure. And it's a great way, as I said, for young horses, because you can introduce them gradually to uh, some of the the things that make a racetrack unique, like horses coming at them and the horses passing them up and stuff like that without scaring them and breaking that confidence that we talked about just a minute ago. Mm-hmm. So do you think that a lot has to do with the previous handling? I mean, I know that a lot of the yearlings, when they come up for training, they haven't been handled very much. And then there's other farms that do a lot of the, you know, the sales prep and stuff like that. Do you think that makes a really big difference? It, it makes a huge difference. Those horses that I was talking about that would take 60 days, let's say, to get to the racetrack, those oftentimes are horses that have come from somebody's farm and they've just basically allowed them to be a horse for for their life up to the point that they, they come in to get started. There's nothing really wrong with that, but it does take a little bit longer because mm-hmm. not only are you, you know, you're teaching them, now you're introducing the halter and the lead rope and things like having their feet picked up and, and going to the water, those sort of things that a horse that has been prepped for a sale, let's say, those horses have all experienced that before. The, you know, I think the sale horses are some of the easiest horses to start because when they come in, they've been handled quite a bit. Be it good or bad, they're at least our know how to lead. They've been on the trailer, off the trailer. They've seen different scenario so they've had to go through the sale they've 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 witnessed the hustle and bustle of something which can be much like a a racetrack so those horses are often come in a lot easier to start because they're they're a lot of those things that we have to prepare them for they have already done and experienced so um the the pre-handling for sure makes a big difference not that not having any handling i also like a horse that's allowed to be a horse because for race horses, once they come in and they're in stalls for a while and things like that, I do like that they were, that they were as their, you know, yearlings and up to their two year old, that they can just be horses. And I think that's very important too, uh, to learn to just be a horse before they learn to, to interact with people per se. So there's a little yeah. bit of a bonus to either side, really. So pretty much you can just do anything. That's what I'm hearing. Um, so well, yeah. <laughs> the 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 magical question here is has anybody crossed your path that, and by anybody meaning horses that have gone on to incredible glory I mean I guess it depends on what incredible glory it, it I was talking about this to somebody the other day and it it's a funny it's a funny scenario when you talk about like let's say incredible glory because so I worked for uh, D. Wayne Lucas, which is funny that we're having the interview today because Wayne turns 85 today. Oh, happy is, birthday. I mean, yeah, happy birthday to, to Wayne Lucas. And so in his program, obviously, I wasn't necessarily the one riding as much. I was an assistant for him. But we got to be around a lot of really nice horses like Take Charge Brandy won the Breeders' Cup. I was around Will Take Charge, who was a 
$3 million winner uh, and, and won some very prestigious races, second in the Breeders' Cup, won the Traverse Stakes. So, so there's horses that have I've been around that were, that were really, you know, went on to do some really big things. But sometimes those aren't the horses that you remember as far as with what I do. Uh, uh-huh. Like, as a, as a for instance, there was a filly there called Queen Emma that I galloped. Well, she was never a stake horse, and she broke her maiden for 20000 But she was a very difficult horse to get to the races. And the fact that we got her there really becomes, um, I, I, as, a, as a horse trainer, as a horseman, you're more proud of that $20,000 horse. Not that you're more <laughs> proud than the stake horse. But you, you, the effort that was put in, it was neat to see that turn out the way that it did. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, it's just as much fun watching a horse that I've started break its maiden than being around those really nice stake horses because not every horse is the same. And so, um, yeah, we've been around some really nice horses that have done some great things. But, I mean, sometimes the the most satisfying wins are a $5,000 claimer that no, that people had a hard time getting around the racetrack, let's say, right. or, or things like that. So that, yes, we have been involved with some of those really nice horses, but sometimes the most satisfying are, are horses that, uh, that, you know, we're, we're just, like I said, a $5,000 claimer or a horse that didn't make it as a racehorse, but we took back, reschooled and is now a really nice pony for somebody. Mm-hmm. I think those sort of things are important because not every horse performs at the same level. And it's neat through this program and others, uh, friends of mine, contemporaries of mine, that we can give those horses a shot to do whatever they're going to excel at, basically, right. to give them the to, to, to do the best at whatever they're going to be, you know. I love that. I love that. I was going to also ask you in that same vein, had, has there ever been one that you're like, mm, I think I need to keep this one. Or you saw it, you watched it run. When it was done, you're like, I'd like that one back. <laughs> I mean, I have, uh, th- there have been several uh, horses that have, have done that, um, that we've been able to, to, to do things with like that. Um, a lot of times when it comes to, with me, I, I make my living with the horses and it's difficult to, to keep them as your own, basically, when you're trying to, <laughs> when you're trying to scrape a, scrape a living by, you know, doing what we do. Uh, so I don't get to keep them as often, but it is, it has been really neat to see some of the horses that have come through that I've had a hand in retraining, go on to to like you to use, you know, do great things with other people. Um, I mean, there was a horse that we ran a couple of times pointing at Pete just recently, uh, there's a horse that we ran a couple of times and, you know, it, he was a very, very slow, 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 slow racehorse. And, uh, we brought him <laughs> back. Um, and you know, he is now a pony horse for the Ashton organization in Indiana. And wow. they love him there. You know, they think that he is just the coolest horse. So store, we have so many stories like that, 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 you know, we, we loved the horse racing wasn't his thing. And then he went on and we've got a couple horses that have come to us that had an injury. Uh, the horse that I was going to take to the RRP this year, if, if it had gone this year, um, was a horse named for the, that, a good friend of mine bought and then sold to uh, somebody in Ocala and then they sold him to Wayne 
as the um, in that syndicate, the the Churchill Downs Racing Syndicate that they have. Mm-hmm. Wayne bought it from them, and he got a knee injury that stopped him from being a racehorse. And then uh, we got him back when he went through second stride, and he was an incredible riding horse. I mean, I still have him, still ponies every morning and things like that. Is turned into a really, really nice riding horse. So um, you did keep one, really see? You I, did. Well, I, did <laughs> I did keep him, but but he's already he's already spoken for basically. So I can't say that I. Uh, somebody's <laughs> like already going to get to reap more of the benefits. <laughs> That's exactly right. They're going to get to reap more of the benefits more than more than myself, really. Well, Tim, <laughs> if people want to to learn more about what you do and where you do it, what is there a Facebook or anything that they can go to? Website. I mean, I I am on Facebook, and you would just look up, uh, you know, Tim Austin. Although I am the worst at that sort of thing. I I mean, my mom puts like my wind pictures up because I'm rarely on the computer. I'm always looking <laughs> for uh, so like it's it's terrible like to even admit that, isn't it? But that's uh, but the, you can see some of what we do on Facebook. Um, I do not have a website, so I don't have much. But if anybody's got any questions, I mean, uh, I would say if they're on social media. Get on Facebook, message me, and we'll, you know, I'm happy to answer any questions. And I would really, uh, part of me, I know as a person, is I'm kind of a teacher. So I love being able to do things like this. And really, I think the thoroughbred, the breed itself, is an incredible breed. So anything that we can do to kind of promote uh, the thoroughbred as a breed, it's it has been a game changer for me. It's changed my life, and I'd like to help other people as well. So, um, well, I'm going to yeah. help you out here. Yeah. High Point Farm and Training Center has a Facebook page, so it's High Point with an E Farm and Training Center. And Tim, you have been an excellent guest. I really hope we can have you back on uh, soon, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd love that for sure. Fantastic, and we'll see you at the Mega Makeover. That's right. <laughs> we'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Tim. Well, it has been summer for quite some time, and that means it's fly time. Protect your equine friends with Cashel Company's full line of chemical-free fly protection. The Cashel Company's Crusader Fly Mask has a patented design for maximum comfort and protection from insects and blocks 70% of UV rays. Available in an array of styles and sizes, Cashel Company's Crusader line of fly protection is a chemical-free alternative to fly sprays that can contain chemicals, are expensive, and don't last for long periods of time. The Crusader line by Cashel Company can protect your horse from from head to toe, available in fly masks, fly sheets, and fly boots. Extend the life of your horse's shoes and alleviate pressure from their leg's soft tissues with Cashel Company's Crusader Leg Guards. Guys, I just got the leg guards and it was instantaneous change for my horses. They went from kicking and stomping and causing huge cracks in their hooves to immediate relief, happy, and grazing. You want them. You need them. Awesome. And they're ventilated too. You know, it's not like Mm -hmm. you're wrapping boots on your horse. It's actually... No sweat, guys. Awesome. So the unique adjustable design helps reduce stomping, like I just said, and your horse will be so happy and thank you for it. So for more information on Cashel products, visit one of their nationwide authorized dealers or visit www.cashelcompany.com. Stay connected by following them on Facebook and Instagram at Cashel Company. Well, this is certainly a special treat. I am a sucker for a crossover episode. And we have Helena Harris with us, who's a longtime horse lover, fellow HRN host. So if you guys have listened to Stable Scoop and Stall and Stable, you've heard her and all of her stories. And she's also an OTTB owner. Helena, welcome to the show. 
Thank you, Joy. I am so honored to be here. This is a big deal for me. Oh, it's so exciting. I've been wanting to get you on as soon as you started your hunt for an off-the-track therapist. I was like, oh my gosh, it's finally happening. I can have Blaine <laughs> on the show. It's amazing. So thanks for coming on today. So you've had your off-the-track thoroughbred for about a year now. Tell us a little bit about that journey of how you decided to get in thoroughbred and what made you choose Susie? Well, I can start with how I decided to get into thoroughbreds and it was a hundred percent pure pressure. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, I am one of those people who suffers horribly from imposter syndrome and I've had my butt in the saddle in one way or another for the last 30 years, at least, um, actually longer than that, but with, with any kind of direction for that long of a, a period of time. And I never thought that I was a good rider because I kind of dabbled in this and that. And so I thought I was never good enough to actually venture into the thoroughbred world. I thought that was for real experienced riders and real mm -hmm. serious competitors. Um, but, you know, the older I got and the more experience I got, I realized that there are a lot of people out there who know nothing <laughs> and just kind of grab some mane and do whatever their thoroughbred wants them to do. And I thought, well, I can do that. I can, mm -hmm. I can hold on. So, you know, Coach Jen um, at Horse Radio Network has always had some kind of thoroughbred. And she was like, you know, Helena, you, you can do this. Why don't you, why don't you just take a stab at it? Mm -hmm. And the real driving force between actually considering a thoroughbred for the first time in my life is that I wanted a horse who was just a little more in front of my leg than my gelding. Brody, who I had fox hunted and I showed little low level stuff with him. And I thought he's great. I love his personality. You can take him anywhere and do anything with him, but he's just not a forward thinking creature. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to start shopping for thoroughbreds. And you shopped for quite a long time. It was a bit of a journey for you to find your thoroughbred. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, you know, there when you're looking for a needle in a haystack, something that fits a very specific set of criteria, you you try to limit it. Well, you start close to home because who wants to travel? And then you realize that that's kind of difficult and your search area starts to spread wider and wider. And the internet, thank goodness, has evolved enough where people can put videos up and photos up and you can cross-reference the seller. You know, uh, if, if someone has a horse for sale, you can do a little Google search or you can search social media for that person and get an idea of what kind of seller they are, what kind of horse person they are, what kind of barn they run. And so I used that different kind, those different kinds of input to help me put together a picture of who I wanted to buy from. It didn't help. <laughs> it didn't, <laughs> didn't help one bit. Mm -hmm. um, except a fellow Horse Radio Network listener and um, occasional guest, Nikki, down in New Jersey, she actually went and sat on a horse for me who I thought was going to be a good, a good prospect. And she did. And she said, Helena, it would be a great little horse for you, but there's some sketchy things you might want to check out. Mm. It turns out that the vet I hired to do the pre-purchase exam for me suggested that I stay away from this particular sale. Mm -hmm. 
And after that, I decided, you know what, if I'm going to run into this kind of situation five hours from home, I might as well look 15 minutes from home. Mm-hmm. And I redirected my search a little bit closer and Susie was for sale. And she's just the most adorable bay mare. I love seeing your photos of her and your progress of her on your social media and talking about her on Stone Stable. But tell us what made you fall in love with her. What what made you say yes to Susie? Um, I did everything wrong when trying Susie, and uh, I think that worked in my favor this time. I when I got there, she had she was already tacked up. She was a, you know, belonged to one woman who had was sort of a freelance trainer and instructor and was working out of her backyard situation. Uh, and another gal had gone to try Susie right before me. This was sort of a last minute switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I was going to be the first one to ride her that day. So I get there and she had already been ridden for a good 25, 30 minutes. And mm-hmm. it was a very warm day in May. And she was... She was being ridden a little bit hard, harder than I thought she needed to be. Uh, And I thought, all right, well, I get a chance to see how she can handle someone who's a little less tactful than I would be. Mm -hmm. And she was very polite considering the circumstances. And I said, you know what? I let's, let's get on her. I looked at her expression. I looked at the way she handled the rider before me. I liked her size. And I really liked her eye. So I said, I'm going to sit in the saddle. Mm-hmm. I'm going to climb up there. And if I feel good, I'll ask her to walk. And if that feels good, I'll ask her to trot. Mm-hmm. And if I feel comfortable doing that, then we'll go a little bit further. And she was a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> she was a hot mess when I got up there. Um, was asking more questions of me than I was asking of her. Mm-hmm. But that feeling of having a, a horse who's attentive, who's really listening to you, that was the first thing that hit me. And I didn't know what kind of aids I needed to give her because, you, you know, you're just like, whoa, this is totally not what I was expecting. I have no idea mm-hmm. how to ask anything of you. I want to be kind, um, but I'm also trying you out. So there was this, you know, 15 to 20 minutes of us kind of going, are you okay? I'm okay. I'm, I'm going to be okay. You're okay. I'm okay <laughs> with you. You're right. Yes. And then we both just went, <sighs> okay. I was just going to say like horse shopping in those first couple of minutes, it kind of reminds you of like your first date, like with somebody or like, this is awkward. I don't know how to talk to you. I'm not sure. Do I compliment you or how are things going? And I feel like horse shopping can go that way sometimes. That's a great way to put it. And I would agree that that's exactly mm-hmm. how it felt. That's exactly how it felt. But then once you break through the ice with that, you know, nice mm-hmm. big exhale, um, I had a chance to, you know, put her through her paces and I felt good. I, and honestly, that is what I bought. I bought mm-hmm. a feeling. I felt comfortable. I, I felt absolutely comfortable. love that. That's that's how I ended up with my off the track as well. And it was kind of spontaneous getting Astrid. It was... She didn't really know much at all. I, I saw her. I actually saw her on my friend's uh, Facebook when he was picking her up from New Vocations to foster her. And I knew I was going to end up buying this little chestnut mare. 
I was like, I don't even need a horse right now. Why am I looking at this horse? <laughs> but uh, it was like, I, I saw the eye. I saw the face. Lots of questions, lots of uncertainty. She's kind of an aloof horse, um, mm. comparably to my other horses who are all in your pocket and want to know your business. And she's like, I'm just going to be a wallflower for a minute and see what you're about. But it was, I could see the potential and that's what I end up buying. Buying the feeling is like the best way you can describe it possible. What sort of potential did you see in her? For me, it was the kindness. So while she was young, while she was very green and not the most trusting at first, you could feel the longing of wanting a a person, someone who was hers. She mm. wanted a job. She, I think she wanted to settle down. I, I kind of always say she's Seems like a one-person horse, and that's okay. Um, I was hoping she'd be a horse uh, as she matures, and maybe it still will happen. Um, I would feel comfortable letting an experienced or even intermediate rider hop on. But she just wants to belong and have a very trusting relationship. But that's what I needed. And I didn't even Mm -hmm. realize I needed that. I've had the horses my parents have given me, you know, our Arabians that we were breeding and they taught me a lot. They gave me confidence as a rider, but I needed that one horse that was going to teach me about myself. I just wasn't aware of it yet. <laughs> <laughs> teach me about myself. I, that's something I was not expecting. Mm-hmm. And you know, you, you kind of have these, this principle in your mind that horsemanship and horses in general will teach us a lot about ourselves or they'll, they'll expose us. Mm-hmm. And I was, I thought I believed it, but I didn't really understand it until I could experience it firsthand with this mare. Yeah. And you talked about that in your episode on stall and staple a bit of a thoroughbred in your backyard. Um, or I'm sorry, a thoroughbred in the yard. You talk a little bit about the challenges of this first year with Susie, especially during a pandemic, but also lessons you've learned about yourself through that. Can you kind of brief us on that a little bit? All right. So, so I, I, yeah, this is where I get tongue tied because there's so much, you know, Mm -hmm. there's so much. I call this little series of episodes, Susie and the solitary witch, because sometimes it feels like you're really relying on magic or something divine, something that's beyond Mm -hmm. your everyday skill set, especially when you're working alone. Um, I have a lot of trust issues. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've worked with trainers and instructors and other horse people who have been less than trustworthy. So relying on myself was something I thought, okay, I I can do this. I want to do this. But what I learned in working with Susie and not knowing anything about training a horse from scratch on my own I realized that um, I had to dig a little bit deeper. I had to mm-hmm. start asking for help in different places, not not only from other people, but from places that might be a little bit higher than me. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not the woo-woo type. But um, so it's a little tongue-in-cheek, Susie and the Solitary Witch, and yet it, it's not. So... Um, I the the blessing of the pandemic is that everything has slowed down mm-hmm. and that's given me the opportunity to take baby steps with her 
and without, there's no time pressure. And I find that in pretty much everything I do, when you add time pressure to a situation, it really amplifies the degree of difficulty. Mm-hmm. So without the pressure of time, I could do, if I had a specific goal with Susie, for example, having her stand still at the mountain block, I could take three, four days just positioning her at the mountain block before I even put a foot in the stirrup. And there was no emotional entrapment for me in taking that long or breaking down that process into teeny tiny baby steps. And the patience that was required for breaking that these things down into teeny tiny baby steps was something I didn't think that I had mm-hmm. until I was motivated enough by Susie's need her, her mm-hmm. need to have someone go slow. Um, and, and it's just been that since March, since we've mm-hmm. sort of been hung out to dry all by ourselves, uh, using the internet, calling my friends, mm-hmm. uh, doing all the research I can, leaning on my veterinarian. And the help comes. The yeah. help has come. I agree with you on that. I, I was in the same boat. Because the first horse, I mean, I brought horses along who had initial backing, maybe done some shows, but went through some history as well of distrust of people, fear of tack. And, but at the end of the day, they know what they're doing. And then I got this off the truck thoroughbred who knew a completely different language than I knew. Leg meant go fast. Uh, mm. Rain contact meant go fast. <laughs> what are breaks? It was, <laughs> it was, uh, it was a different world for me. And also being a writer with PTSD from a severe accident put me in a whole new state of mind of, I don't want to bolt. Like my lizard brain would kick yeah. in. Yep. And there were times where my dad was like, are you trying to kill yourself? I'm like, maybe. I seem to be having fun. I don't know. Do I like this? <laughs> like, <laughs> there was a lot of back and forth days of that imposter syndrome, like you talked about. And I think a lot of amateur riders getting their first thoroughbreds, the kind of people who dive in, no matter how much research they think they've done, you, you almost don't know. It, I always tell people it's like fixer-upper. It's like getting that fixer-upper house that has the good bones but you don't really know what's there until you start getting into the walls. Right. And you might not be able to move in in three weeks or six months. For me, I'm on year three and I've transformed this horse from walking on her back legs just because a butterfly flew in front of her face Mm. to I can do a full workout around her and pop balloons and do confetti on her birthday because it was COVID (laughs) and I was bored and she just stands there and eats her grass. Oh, that's wonderful. It took time and there were lots of tears, but there's also so much reward in that patience and the the baby steps, like you say. And I I think that's the best advice we can give anyone who's looking to adopt a thoroughbred who might not be an experienced trainer or might be keeping their horse in their backyard without access to all the tools and techniques it's a lot of DIY and a lot of research and a lot of questions, like you say, and you talk about that in your episode. Um, what's the number one lesson you think Susie has taught you so far? The number one lesson that Susie has taught me so far 
is that I really need to be more confident in my own abilities mm-hmm. is that I can do this. And yeah, it, whether it's on a quiet gelding or a revved up thoroughbred that I, I can do it and that I'm worthy. I'm, I'm good enough to be her leader mm-hmm. and her teacher which is a difficult concept for me to grasp personally. Mm -hmm. But it's been, uh, the more I, the more my confidence in myself grows, the steeper her learning curve becomes in a good way. Meaning she's reaching milestones. Uh, When I feel it in my, in my solar plexus, when I feel that confidence, Mm -hmm. there is an indescribable joy that comes with it. And, those two things together literally lift my horse up. She will, we, she will engage her core, her whole body lifts, her pole mm-hmm. drops, her neck rounds. And all I've done is focus on my own inner confidence. Mm-hmm. That's, and, and you're like, holy crap, what just happened? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, right? I mean, you, I'm sure you felt that. I absolutely have that, that moment we were almost on the same cosmic wave and it seems like everything, it sounds so (laughs) woo woo, but it's true. It's like, (laughs) if you're not someone who's doing this, you know, you're training multiple horses and I don't want to say you get numb to those feelings, but you experience it more often. And then people like us who, you know, I also had kind of my, I call my comfy potato horse, like my steady Eddie. And then I go to this extreme having that moment of brilliance I'm like, oh my gosh, I can do it. Yeah. I, I like, we can do it as like, we're a team. It's amazing. And my horse feels that too. And I can, I can say, and I don't know if you've experienced this personally, Helena, but out of all the horses I've owned and the horses I still have, Astrid is the one that I'm the closest to. She's the one who, when I come to the pasture, her whole face lights up. And I know that's kind of anthropomorphic, but (laughs) she trots up, she wraps her head around me. It's, I almost feel like we've learned to speak a language between each other. Like, you know, little kids come up with their own languages, their best friends, and they have, you know, their handshakes and, you know, secret code messages. I almost feel like I've designed that with my horse. And I've never experienced that with any other horse I've owned or ridden in my life. And um, I think that's the value of thoroughbred or any retired racehorse you bring in is they want that closeness with their person. I understand thoroughbreds now. I I mean, Mm -hmm. the light bulb went off a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, actually. And I said to myself, now I get it. Now I understand why people love thoroughbreds Mm -hmm. so much. They, they're, they talk about the heart and their try and their trainability. All of those things make them amazing, uh, an amazing breed. The, my other horse, Brody, is as safe as the day is long. And I've always, my primary discipline has always been fox hunting. So I've, I've always been on horses who are sort of pluggy and slow because when you put them out in the field, they want to go. So it's better to have a horse who's kind of behind your leg, quiet, steady, because when the time comes, you're going to want that underneath you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Quarter horses, you know, just kind of steady. And 
with that, I think, and this is just my, my luck, I think, my personal experience, I've never really had a horse who's been in your pocket. Mm-hmm. I've never owned a horse like Susie. I've never trained a horse or worked with a horse like her. Um, I've ridden a lot of other people's horses, but they were all already trained. And if it was a thoroughbred, it was an older, much older thoroughbred who knew his or her job. So I never got to experience that thoroughbred learning process or trying mm-hmm. process. And um, Susie is exactly like me, you know, mm-hmm. affectionate, in your pocket, you know, wants a best friend. Just the way you're describing Astrid, I'm I'm hearing exactly yeah, my situation. It's basically right. a mirror. It's crazy. <laughs> it is a mirror. You're like, oh my God, that's me. She's me mm-hmm. in horse clothing. Um, but the, her, the thoroughbred is, I, sometimes it's hard to put into words, but I understand now um, why, what they're good at and what they're not so good at. You can't just let them sit. You have to give them something to do Mm -hmm. because, you know, like Susie was pretty spooky when I first started riding her. Everybody said, you have to have, you have a thoroughbred, you got to put her in a program, has to be in a program. Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, well, what does a program look like? You you have to ride her every day. All right. I can ride her every day. Well, she's still spooky. Well, I I thought Mm -hmm. she had to be in a program. You know, and it turns out, no, really, this horse just needs to have her brain working. Her body has to work but her brain has to work too. Mm -hmm. She needs a leader. So I had to stop thinking about what I needed as a rider and as a human being. And I had to start thinking about what she needed as an athlete, as my athletic partner. You know, she was, yeah, she's an animal. Yes. She's a horse animal, but she's also my athletic partner. So thinking about her externally considering this other creature in the team of Helena and Susie uh, changed everything for me. And I began to understand her in ways that, uh, again, really pushed our training forward leaps and bounds. That's exactly how thoroughbred brains are. And they, they want that job. They want that connection. And I think you're doing a great job documenting or documenting all of that on uh, a stall and stable with Susie and the challenges and the lessons learned, but all the brilliant moments too. You've just been so transparent through it. So Elena, I could talk to you for hours <laughs> on this easily, easily, but I won't spoil a lot of the surprises on your own show. So if people want to listen, where can they learn more about you and Susie? Oh, they can go to stallandstable.com. We have episodes and I have a couple of blog posts too. So if you're the type of person who likes to read quietly, you can catch up on what Susie and I have been doing on our blog. Perfect. So make sure to check that out. We'll have links in today's show notes. And thank you again for coming on and uh, looking forward to seeing your progress. Oh, thank you for having me, Joy. It was fun. Bates Saddles offer highly specialized saddles for every discipline engineered to bring out the best in you and your horse. Underneath the finest European leather, you'll feel the power of innovation. For you, the rider, enjoy instantaneous comfort, optimal balance, and seamless contact with your horse, leaving you free to concentrate on your aids. For riding your horse, the care, cushion system, and easy change fit solution ensure their absolute comfort and your peace of mind. 
revolutionize your riding experience and fulfill your true potential by riding in a Bates Saddles. Visit BatesSaddles.com to find out more. That's BatesSaddles.com. And from the back of the pack on the outside, commanding firm is taken second, but California Chrome shines right in the Kentucky Derby. And now it's time for the new vocations, Winner's Circle, Adoptable Horse of the Week. It wouldn't be an episode of Retired Racehorse Radio without checking in with our friend Leandra over at New Vocations. Leandra, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. As usual, before we talk about our New Vocations Winter Circle Adoptable Horse of the Week, I have to surprise you with a training question. And I ask you these because you are the one who rides the billions of thoroughbreds that come through New Vocation first. And uh, so I love to just, you know, surprise you, don't give you any heads up at all. That's how we do this. Okay. Are you ready? Absolutely. (laughs) This is going to be pretty easy. (laughs) I want you to talk about, you know, when you start a a racehorse and you're teaching it how to move off the leg, you're teaching it to turn, they don't really know all those things. But when do you ask the thoroughbred for the first canter and how do you ask for it? That is a great question. So What's great about these guys is that we know that they've already been backed and they know a lot of their super, super fundamental stuff when they come here. So we're not what we call, you know, green backing them. They've already been backed. It's not their first time. So like we've talked about so many times, like this is all about bridging the gap between what they know and what they don't know and just fixing all the little pieces to translate what they already know and just are confused about to, you know, what you're asking if they don't know. So when we're starting to work with the horses here in our program and they're just starting to go through the transition, I always have to cater our program to the horses as an individual, because as we know, the horses, just like people, they're all different and they all have their own way of doing things. And so no two are going to be the same in how they progress. So what I focus on rather than a really strict cookie cutter designed program is assessing the individual and getting to know them and what makes them tick, what they like. So what, and and that's all kind of subconsciously as you're working with them. So we're going to focus mostly on can the horse calmly and soundly. So, So considering mental and physical health, do the gate prior to to the canter. So we're looking at walk and trot. If we're thinking about getting canter, I want the horse to be able to really walk comfortably and not feel like they're just jigging in place and um, feel like they really can actually do that because I'd like to really tackle those and have the basic sound before I'm going to ask for more speed because doing things faster with more energy only works if you you can go back to the de-escalating speed well like just throwing Mm -hmm. them into that doesn't always turn out so well you can certainly do that but it's not going to it really is going to go back to again your comfortability as a rider but then also like you're you're taking a horse who knows basically that like just jog to the starting gate and gallop to the things that they would be doing it both an exercise 
in their track work, but then also in racing. So like those, those pieces, we know they can do that. So if we're, if we're asking them to take those steps, those baby steps to get back up there and do it in a sport horsey sort of way and transition them to whatever we want them to do, we really want to tackle walk and trot comfortably. And again, considering the physical and mental health and well-being. So I really ideally would like to see sort of a relaxed walk and be able to, you know, even walk around on the buckle at the walk and get them to stretch out at the trot before we go into the canter. And then when you're asking them for the canter, it's really important to think about the way that they're being ridden on the track and how that might differ from what you're asking. So sometimes people struggle with leads. Sometimes people have a hard time getting them to, um, you know, respond in the way that to the cues that they know. So, so, you know, we would say support on the inside leg, bring your outside leg back behind the girth, but for some horses, depending on how they're trained and, and even at the track, they're not always trained exactly the same way. So you might be actually asking them with the cues that they know, like it might translate differently. So you think that you're asking them to canter on the left lead. And for that, them, that cue is pick up the right lead um, and get up and go. So to some of that's going to be just considering what they know and they don't know. And again, just bridging that. So, so having a little bit of a sense of humor and having a little, a ton of patience, not a little bit of patience, a ton of patience in just trying to figure out their language and what communicates for them. So don't have a ton of expectation. Like I think one of the things that always shocks people is that I usually ride on a pretty loose rein and a lot of that is just because I'm trying to figure out how they're moving and what, how they respond. So I might still ask for the tanner the same way that I ask of another sport horse, but I'm not going to expect the same answer. I want to see how they answer that, that command, that cue, and then we can adjust from there. And then I, as I, I feel like I always go back to laterals and transitions in strengthening and improving the responses so that when I ask for something they understand and you're speaking the same language. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I I find that some of them, they come a little discombobulated uh, trying to figure out, you know, what these legs are wrapped around them and how they can balance through like a serpentine or just even a figure eight and making some turns. And sometimes I found that even just kind of trotting them into the canter the first time, just to kind of see what I'm going to get, like you said, just kind of like see what their answer is going to be to the question that you're asking. And then you can kind of go from there. So uh, again, I, I always oh ask gosh. you yeah. th- the questions that I'm kind of dealing with at the time. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's say there, I feel like there's a first person experience. Here yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, and then again, like not getting super demanding on the leads and not just, it just kind of, like you said, just, I love that. You said that just kind of seeing what answer they were going to give you to the question that you ask and yeah. then kind of go from there. That's fantastic. And, and I love the rebalancing that you talked about in the transitions and, and all of that. Well, I think also just as a last little tidbit, it's important again to understand that at least for us, a lot of the horses who are coming into the program are three or four years old, you know, sometimes two, sometimes a little bit older, but you have a really young horse that's just not fully developed either. So. Mm-hmm. Sometimes maybe they're going through a growth spurt. Like you said, sometimes it feels like they're just discombobulated and truly sometimes they just are, you know, and even (laughs) one ride, they might feel more put together 
maybe they've had a little bit of a growth spurt and then they feel like they've kind of lost all of their legs and are not talking to each other. So that's when it brings back to the just patience. Um, but there's so many different things you can do. Like I said, transitions and laterals always great, no matter what, no matter what age and introducing things like ground poles. So they're more mindful of their feet, but really when it comes down to it, it, it's just, you're, you have to really kind of spell it out. You have to teach them the alphabet and make sure that things are translating um, so that you, you know that you're asking uh, properly. You are making your ask clear because a lot of rider frustration comes from lack of clarity. You're just not communicating well, which I would say also probably applies to many relationships with humans too. I know I've been <laughs> first in there. But Never. Making sure no, that, that, I, that I ask think- is clear. I think what I would like to make myself feel better and joy, you probably agree with this because when you go onto the new vocations website, you get to see videos of all of these horses being ridden Mm -hmm. by Leandra. And I think what I would most like to see, you can DM me these if you want. I want to see the fail (laughs) videos because like I'm sick of you looking (laughs) so freaking perfect all the time. There has to be more. (laughs) Yeah. I, I would happily share with you. I mean, I think if people, people would be surprised too how many of those are just purely uh, first take because for me, at mm-hmm. least it's, I think when I was younger in my career, I really wanted to like get a really awesome looking video and I, you know, you would really kind of worry about that a little bit. And I, I think now I, I more want, I really want people to see like what it would truly be like, like, here's what it's going to be like in real life, um, raw, like I don't usually do any editing of the videos. Like we're taking that one take and it's going up in some, unless something really disastrous happens. And I can surely send you some of those videos too. (laughs) But I, I think that people really would be surprised that like a lot of those are just happening in one take and we're not really like uh, trimming them down very much because I really want you to see what it's going to be like. And you know what, if somebody looks at that and they say, I think I could ride that horse better than I say, great. Adopt it. Here you go. (laughs) Here you go. (laughs) Here's the one. Yeah. I posted one today, me riding a horse that, yeah, he just, he was not ready to pick up that right lead. And you know what, Mike, we just went around to the left again. You know, you just kind of, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, as Absolutely. what I do is the same thing and just wanting, I just want people to see what they're going to get and see what kind of horse. Now, speaking of horses that new vocations has up for adoption, um, let's talk about, is it Pooker tea or Pooker tea? I would say you can definitely, um, call her, you know, whatever you want on, on any different day, <laughs> Pooker tea and, Pooker tea. Uh, we like to call her Pookie a lot. So I, I love that. it. But now, but really, I think you could go to it. Pookie is a, oh my gosh. Okay. So she is a 15 2 hand solid bay mare, maybe a little, little white up there on the forehead. But man, she is a freaking tank. The chunky yeah. girl. She sure is. And actually, we had somebody who was at the farm the other day and asked if she was a brute mare. So I would say, <laughs> even in person, it's not just the camera that's adding the pounds. It's definitely, um, she definitely is a solid build girl. I really like that way of putting it. She is solid. Um, yeah. It's hard to imagine her running. Uh, she had nine <laughs> stars, and you would never know it with the way that she looks now. But she she's really taken to the retired life very very well. 
she wasn't as big as she is now uh, in height or in width when she arrived, but she really, really liked the Kentucky grass. We had given her some time off just to relax and uh, make sure that she was really mentally and physically ready to start retraining. And sure enough, she blossomed. You said. <laughs> that is such a nice way of saying she's kind of a chunk. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because we even say in her description, she reminds us of a lesson pony, not only because you kind of feel like you're doing a split when you're on her. So she takes up a really good amount of leg, but she just is a horse who likes to go around, kind of plop around on a loose rein. If you are just, having a casual ride, but then she's done a lot of development in self-carriage and really learning some of the more refined movements and ways of going. So she's gotten a lot softer on the bit. Um, She really is developing that feel and that contact. So she's kind of, I mean, she has shown us so many different sides of her potential that we could see her going on and being a nice trail horse. We could go on and see her being a nice dressage horse. She could go be a lesson horse down the road with a little more mileage or a hunter. You know, there's no end to the different kinds of career paths she could have. And you don't have to worry about her being a hard keeper. Yeah, there you go. Special bonus right there. Pookie, yeah. Pooker, Pooker T. Uh, you can find her at horseadoption.com. And as always, Leander, thank you so much for coming on, being so flexible and uh, helping us all out. Absolutely. My pleasure. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on the website at retiredracehorseradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search for Retired Racehorse Radio and follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. Don't forget to check out Jamie's Facebook page, Flyover Farm, Jamie Jennings Certified Monty Roberts Instructor, and her email is jamie at horseradionetwork.com. You can email me at joy at horseradionetwork.com or find me on Instagram at joyhequestrian. Thank you so much to our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products, Cashel Products, and Bait Saddles. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Remember to set your goals high and love to learn from every ride. And spay, neuter, and geld. Bye, guys.